And if your life is overly chaotic and stressful and you're overwhelmed and you're not grounded and you're acting out of, you know, impulse and reactivity, the experience that people are going to have of you is going to be very, very different than if you are feeling grounded and calm again, not having no stress at all, but that you're you're navigating that stress and what's swirling around you from a much more grounded and calm place. Welcome back to the All Things Connected podcast, where we explore the most pressing and fascinating issues of today with experts in their field. This is Jared Hawking. Just a brief preamble here before I bring you today's episode. I have some very exciting guests lined up that I'm excited to bring you. Shortly, I will be speaking likely in the next episode with one of my heroes, Dr. Mona Hanna-Atisha, who almost single-handedly exposed the Flint water crisis. After that, I will be speaking with student activist and former two-term president of the Rackham Student Government at University of Michigan, Naomi Wilson, for what I'm sure will be an interesting conversation about the role of institutional and individual racism in our society and what reforms are needed to address it. After that, I will be speaking with filmmaker Kate Brooks and producer Dr. Rebecca Hardin, a professor of anthropology and environment at the University of Michigan about their film, The Last Animals, and the poaching and biodiversity crisis happening across the planet, particularly in Africa. And after that, I'll be speaking with Natasha Daly, journalist for National Geographic, whose cover story on the wildlife tourism industry was one of the most widely read pieces in 2019. Natasha is a past recipient of the Outstanding Investigative Reporting Award by the Society of Environmental Journalism in 2018 for her work documenting illegal wildlife tourism in the Amazon. She's appeared on The Daily Show, The Columbia Journalism Review, and other notable publications. So I'm very excited to speak with her. And this past week has been very encouraging. In that time, I've received almost 50 positive reviews of the show on the Apple Podcast app and have had people reach out to me on Facebook and other platforms saying how much they're enjoying the show. And that is extremely encouraging. I've also received feedback about the types of topics you would like for me to cover here and guests you would like to hear from. And I'm making every effort to incorporate those suggestions. So please keep that feedback and those reviews coming so we can continue to bring interesting guests on this program, like my guest today. Today, I'm speaking with Nicola Taggart, a life and leadership coach based out of the Bay Area in San Francisco. Nicola and I connected actually because I purchased her journal that she has published called Calm the Chaos, a daily practice for a more mindful life which has helped me with my mental health in many ways, especially focusing on gratitude. So I wanted to understand Nicola's perspectives on the topic that she is striving to get at in this journal, which include gratitude and self-reflection, the importance of daily rituals and structure in our lives, the asymmetry between what feels good in the moment versus what's good for us in the long term, and generally living a more mindful and purposeful life. We get into all of these topics and more, and I think Nicola has great perspectives to share in these areas. I hope you enjoy the conversation, and now I bring you Nicola Taggart. Okay, I'm here with Nicola Taggart, leadership and life coach, and the author of this wonderful little journal that I'm very happy that I came across, which is called 
Calm the Chaos, a daily gratitude journal for a more mindful life. And Nicola, I'm very happy that I made this purchase that day because this journal has truly changed my life for the better. And I'm excited for our conversation. So thank you for coming on our show. Thank you for having me. And I always love to hear that it's <laughs> had a positive impact in, in somebody's life. So um, love to hear that you're using it and and can actually talk to the practice of it being important in your your own personal life. It really has. And there's a lot to discuss here relative to the concepts that you are getting at in this journal. So I'm excited about that. You know, this this podcast is really, I, I have curiosity about, about a lot of subjects, but at its core, I'm trying to help my listeners live a more mindful and purposeful and examined life. And I think this conversation is right in line with that. So let's jump in. I'm curious, what inspired you to create this journal and what was your hope for how it would affect people's lives? Well, I will be totally honest is that I created it first for myself. <laughs> so um, initially, the whole concept of it was to have an impact in my own life. And and this was many years ago. It was when I was um, relatively new mom and I had started my own coaching business and, um, you know, life pretty much felt turned upside down in a lot of ways. And I had been doing a lot of research and reading on just overall kind of health and happiness practices anyway, helping my clients with it, but also really looking for it for myself in terms of just how do I show up and be as present and productive and positive as I can be both uh, as a as a coach um, and a business owner, uh, but also as a parent and as a spouse and a partner. Um, so I had taken various aspects of health and happiness habits and was trying some of them out and uh, kind of found my own secret, I guess, recipe of what felt like I wanted to be tracking on a daily basis. So initially, I just created something in a Word document started using it myself to track things um, and then realized how much that helped me having that process uh, and the structure in place uh, to go in. Even though these things were simple and the information was all out there, it was like having it all in one place really helped me. So then I started having um, some clients utilize it. I asked some friends to test it out and eventually self-published, I guess you would say, an actual journal that looked horrible. Like I have an old copy of it, you know, and it was literally like one of those um, types that has the plastic cover and the plastic binding and looked horrible. But uh, that was my first sort of take at getting it out there uh, in a different way. Uh, but I, I don't know, there was something in me that just felt like as simple as it was, it just felt like it needed to be out there in a, in a big way. And so at one point I took out this big flip chart that I had in my office that I would use with clients. And I wrote at the top, you know, my goal was, um, for millions of people to have, uh, access to this journal. And I had no idea how it was going to happen, but it was just a goal that I had up there in the office. And, uh, I think I just felt like, Again, it was such a simple process, but it really helped bring all these pieces together in a very simple but profound way. And I wanted a lot of people to have access to that. So it was really kind of just this dream to be able to get it out there uh, published 
And um, now it's been out, I think it's been over a year. Um, and from what I've heard from the publisher, at least on their end, um, it's in the hands of of over, you know, close to 50,000 people. So <laughs> I'm excited about that. We're not to a million yet, but we'll get there. Well, I certainly embrace the idea of having big goals. And you've made pretty remarkable headway toward that goal in just over a year. So hopefully this podcast can help play a part in getting this into the hands of a million or more people, because I think that would be a really wonderful thing, especially if if they use it in the way that we hope that they do. So I think it would be helpful to just visually describe the journal for our listeners, because for, for those that don't have it in hand, what you've kind of done is on the left-hand side, you have things that remain the same throughout the day or, or throughout each day, mm-hmm. which are, um, you know, like kind of a checklist. Did I get enough sleep? Did I spend time outside today? Did I get enough physical activity? And one of my favorites, uh, really for its potential to shift our mindset, is your prompt about gratitude and listing the things that we are grateful for, you know, at, at the end of each day or whenever you might uh, do the journal, which might be in the morning or, or at the end of the day. And I feel like gratitude is this idea, you know, that's be, has gained prominence in our culture so much recently that it almost can come across as cliche at times, kind of, you know, devoid of its meaning. Mm-hmm. But there are psychologists who study this, um, like Laurie Santos and Robert Emmons was kind of the father of the gratitude movement, that focusing on those things that we are grateful for can really present a profound shift in, in our happiness and well-being in our mindset. So more generally, how do you think about the importance of gratitude in, in your life and why would you recommend that more people develop this practice? Well, it's a great question. I mean, I'll, I'll go back to just sort of the setup of the journal just to give a little bit of insight into that. So the the left-hand page, which is the way it's set up is that you complete the journal at the end of your day. Everybody gets to choose what works best for them, but that's that's how it was created. So you you kind of take stock in terms of of how you um, how you did these things throughout your day, and then the the following page is looking forward at your next day and really kind of setting some intention. the The reason it was set up that way is that the the items on the left hand page, so ways you take care of yourself, acts of kindness, gratitude, most memorable moment, that is built around the research that shows that these are ways that really help us increase our level of positivity, uh, help us stay more present, help us feel happier and healthier. So they're based on the science of that. So it's not like I magically created this, you know, those, that's the information that's out there and, and, uh, has been, you know, tried and tested. Um, and so the, the idea with that page, uh, is really to, to do that checklist about checking in, right? How am I doing in these areas? And the piece about the gratitude, like you said, I mean, it's out there. It's talked about all the time, um, you know, having a, an, an attitude of gratitude. And I do think, you know, sort of it has become cliche, but the evidence does show that when we really put our attention on what we are grateful for, the impact is pretty, is pretty profound. So my thing with it is that, you know, I've really been testing this myself in my own life. I tend to practice what I preach. Um, and I think that the gratitude part of it, especially given where what's going on in the world right now and what's happening in people's personal lives, you know, our, our attention is just constantly being pulled towards the negative, what's not working, the divisiveness, um, 
the challenges that we're having. And we have to intentionally and actively pull our attention back to the positive that's in our life, the things that are working, um, the things that do feel good. And, and the key thing with the gratitude that I think where people get a little bit off is that, you know, I kind of think of it as like, oh, I just have to come up, you know, list five things and boom, 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 boom. And it's just the practice of listing them. And what I have grown to understand more and more that really the benefit comes from activating the feeling of gratitude. So yes, you can just list them and that will probably help you to some degree to just kind of bring your attention, your focus back to things that you feel good about, um, things that you feel connected to, things that are working right in your life and around you. But the real power is actually spending some moments feeling into those things and activating that feeling of gratitude mm-hmm. within your body. Um, because that one, it just helps you feel better. Uh, but it also just kind of raises your energy around being more um, focused and drawn and attracted to what what's still positive and good in life, which there's a lot of things, right? But we have to really pay attention to them to remind ourselves of that again, especially during really challenging times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a big difference there between just writing something down and feeling it, as you say, and acknowledging it. And there is a possible shift there from here are all the things that I especially I feel like this comes into play with social comparisons. You know, I mean, if we, if we hold up an example of something that we perceive to be ideal of, you know, look at this beautiful person with their family and their, you know, well-paying job and their circumstances, you know, if, if you might see that throughout your life, then that tends to make you less grateful for, or, or, holding up that contrast to your current circumstance can be very defeating and it it can be very debilitating. But if you start to realize that for every comparison in that direction, that imagine if you lost the things that you currently have, you know, one one of the things I always write down in, in your journal that I'm grateful for is movement. You know, the fact that I can get up out of bed in the morning and I have four working limbs and I have, you know, the ability to speak clearly. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I have my eyesight, I have my hearing and, and there's just, there's so many things like that, that if you really take the time to reflect, like, wow, I actually, this, this is completely due to chance. The fact that I have these things, but yet I should be grateful for them. And there really is a, a shift possible there. One, one thing I've struggled with personally is I feel like there's this kind of break off point where either there's this this neutral ground where either you can dip into just feeling like everything is futile and yeah i have these things to be grateful for but what does it really matter or kind of that nihilistic attitude and there's that you know it, it obviously a practice like gr- a gratitude a daily practice can start to shift your mindset but i feel like if you're if you're on one side of that line if you're on the positive side the gratitude practice can really help and it can really change your life. But if you're on, if for whatever reason, your circumstances or your current mental outlook are such that you're on the opposite side of that line where you you just are viewing things very bleakly and from a very nihilistic lens, it, it, it 
I don't know if it can push you over that line. Maybe it can. What it, what are your, do you see what I'm getting at there? And what are your yeah. thoughts on that? And what have your experiences from clients been on that? Well, you know, I, I, I will say that I think that it's somewhat dependent on, you know, the person's personal, I don't know, perspective or sort of approach to life. I mean, I, I you know, I, I don't want to jump into any kind of psychoanalysis or therapy because that's not what my experience, you know, my background is in. And I think that people that, mm-hmm. you know, are dealing with struggling with like depression and, and things like that, um, there may be aspects of this that it, it doesn't activate for them. It doesn't work for them. I think that though for, for people when you're, you're in a really challenging place and it feels like, you know, maybe there's just not a lot that's, going on in your life that's feeling positive. I mean, this is the whole thing about having a growth mindset and being able to take a step back. And even like you said, look for the the things that we take for granted so much in life. And so an example is, um, you know, for myself personally, over the last year was one of the toughest years of my life due to a really significant health issue with my husband that had him in and out of the hospital multiple times, very lucky to, you know, still be alive after going through what he did. And our whole life, you know, in the moment was turned upside down, but in a lot of ways it still is. And now you add COVID to it and it's even more complicated. Um, There are a lot of really dark days for me. And I will say that using the techniques in the journal, whether I actually used the journal to physically, you know, check them off or not every single day, which I I don't, I go kind of in and out of it myself, um, I, I think really like saved me and kept me afloat because I could feel myself start spiraling down and coming up with all of the things that were seemingly not going well and not working and uh, getting, you know, concerned about the future, comparing now my life to other people's lives. And I had a personal choice whether I was going to attach myself to those and keep spiraling down or whether I was going to pause and really take stock of what I I did have in front of me to be grateful for. And so just like you said, the the things that that we take for granted, um, that even in a lot of ways, I think I, we lost as a result of what we were going through in our own personal lives, uh, made me even more grateful for the things that seemed very simple and um, got me very clear about sort of what was essential. So my list of things I was grateful for went from being sort of these more grand ideas, you know, um, or thoughts, you know, to um, really the simple things of life. So I don't know if that entirely answers your question. I, I do think it's it, it's a challenging place when you're spiraling down, uh, and and again, it becomes this. I, I I often say to my clients that the hardest work we have is often the work between our ears. It's it's where we let our mind go um, and whether we choose to follow that uh, up or down and that it really takes a great amount of effort to refocus our attention. Right now, again, is such a, a reminder that there's so many aspects of our life that are just really out of our control. And the only thing that we have control over is really where we give our attention and our focus in terms of, 
you know, the, the things that we think about, our thoughts, our beliefs, um, the words that we speak, the actions that we take in the midst of the things that are happening in our life that are maybe out of our control. So, mm-hmm. yeah, let me, let me jump in here real quick. So a couple things, one, I, there, I actually just reached out to the author of this book and I, I really hope I can get her on the show. And the name of this book is Think Forward to Thrive. And the idea behind this is very simple. The idea is that most of the thoughts that are running through our head or at any given moment are those which thinking about things that we don't want or things that are bothering us. And and that's mm-hmm. our brains are kind of operating on on default mode if they are to to focus on things that things that we don't want or or at least someone who is in kind of a a bad state mentally is is doing that and what Dr. Vilhauer her book is all about is really activating our brain's problem solving mechanism which is there if we shift if we start thinking about okay you know for example let's say someone is single and jobless and feels like they have no direction just as a hypothetical example well, what are the ways that they can find a relationship? Maybe they can start taking up a new hobby. Maybe they can go to the you know yoga studio or join a bowling club or whatever else. And maybe they'll meet someone there. You know, by focusing on the fact that they're currently single and want a relationship is not helping. Yes. But the fact that they activate that that uh, problem solving mechanism that our brains naturally have, it's it's really a compounding effect. So that's that's one thing. And then the second thing is that this really is a training or a, a, a you know, a, it's like building muscles. You know, if you go to the gym one time and you pick up a few weights and you, you know, do a few exercises, you're not going to be stronger because of that. But if you go every day for 30 days and, you know, you do the same exercise, you will be in better shape and, and, your muscles will be stronger and our brains function in very much the same way. The more that you focus on the things that are, the, the, the more you're mindful about where your thoughts are taking you and the more that you focus on, you know, examining those thoughts, examining the evidence behind those thoughts, bouncing those ideas around in such a way that is empirical and really investigating where this, this is coming from, that will start to build. And and this is a plug for, mindfulness, which I, you know, my listeners will know that I um, am a big fan of and want to get a researcher on, but it really is a, a fundamental shift between, um, and, and your journal is a huge part of this. Your journal is a mindfulness practice in itself. It's like, so that's my, my piece here, but I, I want to segue to a question, which, which I just brought up. And that is one of the things that I really love about this book is it kind of, or your journal is that it forces us to remember those positive things that happen throughout the day that we might otherwise overlook and just entirely forget about. And there is a lot of research suggesting that our brains have this negativity bias, you know, out of um, Ohio State University, there's a researcher named John Capasio who has found that when we're shown negative stimuli, our brains are more active and and, uh, are signaling more electrical impulses than when we're shown positive stimuli. And as Brene Brown puts it very succinctly, when you ask people about love, they tell you about heartbreak. (laughs) You know, I think Mm -hmm. that's like perfectly capturing Mm -hmm. this, this idea. Um, 
So your prompt here, what is the most memorable thing that happened to you during the day in the journal? I think it actually does two things. One, it forces you to recognize that not every day is the same. You know, sometimes we think like, wow, what am I doing with my life? Like every day feels like the same. I, you know, I get on the train, I go to work, I go home. It's all the same, but it it forces you to realize that unique things did happen. And the second thing is recalling those positive events during the day. And that, that usually is what happens for me when I don't think I've ever responded to this by saying a negative event that happened. I, I think every time you, you know, I write down a memorable event that happened, I try to think of the positive event that happened. So it, it does force you to recall that. And it's almost like building where your way up a mountain. The more you realize that, you know, there's positive things that are happening in your life that you forgot about, you start to shift your perspective. So all of that said, all of that preamble, what have you noticed in terms of your your attitude or your client's attitudes who have are using this journal in a way to force themselves to remember those those positive or memorable events. Well, so in terms of that particular prompt, now that came from um, the book "The Happiness Advantage" uh, from Sean Aker. Have you read that? No, that I'm not familiar would, with that one. Okay, you. Yeah, I think you would really like that. He's got a TED talk. But one of the concepts in that is that, you know, this is exactly what you were talking about, about building that muscle. Um, and so the reason I put that in there is because the idea is, is that knowing that that prompt is in there, especially as you start to use the journal more. And so, you know, right, those questions every day are going to be the same. And so you're, you start to scan your day for through the lens of, what potentially may be your most memorable moment. Um, so part of it is, is that training of the brain to start looking through that lens throughout your day. What I noticed for myself when I started using the journal and answering that question is that oftentimes, I think at first I would kind of rack my brain for this grand moment and I would then kind of judge myself that I didn't have one. And what I realized is that the moments that I started to think about and that I would write about were actually some of the simplest, sweetest moments, um, especially in terms of my kids or or my relationship with my husband or interactions that I had with uh, friends or clients even. And so I, I, I think that was the thing that I noticed for myself personally in the conversation I've had with clients and, and people that have used the journal have said the same thing, that what they recognized was sort of the shift from thinking that that most memorable moment needed to be this big thing and having a judgment that they didn't have a big thing every day to recognizing that really the memories that we hold on to, and I often use this with clients as a starting point for our work, which is, you know, if, if we're having a conversation, uh, you know, when you're 85 years old or towards the end of your life and, uh, we're getting ready to, you know, have a big party to celebrate you, you know, what are the memories and the stories that you want to be telling and that you want people to be telling of you? And, and so how do you show up now so that those stories can be told in the future? And that's really at the heart of the work that I do. And and a big part of the basis of this journal is that it keeps you grounded in a place that allows you to show up in the world for yourself and for others in just a much more calmer, peaceful, um, positive way. And that doesn't mean, you know, being happy every single day. That's not the basis of what I'm trying to help people do. It's about being mindful, like you said, and being present. And so I think that 
particular question, I've heard from a lot of people who have said, you know, I kind of like the idea of journaling to capture a little bit about what's happening in my life, but I just don't have the time or the desire at the end of the day. And so a lot of people have said that they love that they can capture a, a simple moment in that one prompt um, and look back, you know, at that over time and get a sense about what was going on in their life or what was kind of sweet for them um, at, you know, that period of time. Yeah. Well, so I talk to a therapist on either a weekly or biweekly basis. And every time I go into that conversation, it, it tends to focus on what went wrong, you know, and that's just a natural inclination, one, because of the setting that you're in, but also that's, as as we discussed just now, the negativity bias. And what this question forces you to do is really take stock of the positive things that happen, you know, what 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 was memorable. And when I have been in tough places recently, that's something that I've just started to do is what what are all the positive things that positive interactions that I've had recently. One one um, kind of uh, analogy that I've been thinking about recently, especially as I'm trying to launch this podcast and, you know, put myself out there in a world, in the world in a way is that if you go to the basketball gym and you shoot one shot and you make it and you leave, well, you know, you, maybe you're done for the day. You, you shot a hundred percent and you can feel good about that. But did you really get better? Did you, you know, grow in that practice? No. But what if you shoot a hundred shots and you miss 80 of them, you only make 20. Are you going to focus on the 80 that you missed or are you going to focus on the fact that you took 100 shots? And that's kind of it's a little bit specific to this idea of, of uh, you know, maybe a little bit of entrepreneurship or, or of getting outside of your comfort zone. But the, the point is that if you take more chances, you are going to lose more often. And Michael Jordan has a quote. He says, I succeed because I've failed more than anyone else. And that's that's related to this. It's like there are going to be negative things that happen in your life and you're you're going to fail. But can you take pride in and and remember and give yourself credit for the the positive things that are happening? And that's that's what I love. So a question for you, Nicola, one approach to life that I think this book really reflects is having structure and having rituals. So I do this at the end of every night and look at it almost every morning, the previous, or I'm sorry, the, the following morning. That's the thing that I still need to, to capture is uh, remembering what I wrote the previous night. And I have other rituals as well. You know, I walk my dogs at the same time every night and I shower and relax before going to bed. And, and that's really helped me because I do think both a symptom, but also potentially a cause of the chaos in our life. You know, it's not clear which comes first is, is not staying true to structure. It, it kind of throws our rhythms out of flux and our brains perceive that as, as chaotic to some extent. So that being said, how do you think about the importance of structure and rituals in your life? And is there any advice you have around developing those? The importance of it is that and I love that you use the word ritual because I there I do think there's a difference, right? There's structure and there's routine that happens in terms of how and what you do at certain times a day. But I think that there's something um, that is very kind of, I don't know, precious and powerful about looking at some certain aspects of your day where you actually think about creating a ritual from the standpoint of signifying to yourself that this is an important aspect of your life to support you in and being and living the way that you that you really want to. So 
the the journal was, you know, a way to create really kind of that structure and that routine and ritual for myself. What I always say when I'm working with clients is that um, it is important for you to create your own. It's such a personal thing. And I don't know for you if you feel like you've tried some different things and some have stuck and 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 some haven't. Um, but the importance of having the structure. So, you know, when I think about really what helps us be the most successful in life, both personally and professionally, it really comes from us managing our well-being. And there's many aspects of, of our, our well-being, but I look at it really kind of from four key components that we want to be actively managing on a daily basis. And that's managing your mindset, which we've been talking about, managing your energy, managing your environment, and managing your relationships. And managing your environment is really the structure piece. It's putting, you know, the the structure into the place. So the the tips that I give and that often I focus on uh, initially with clients in terms of how do you just really dial down the chaos in your life so that you can decrease the confusion and have more clarity, even if everything around you is not feeling so certain or clear. And and that is um, thinking about how do you create structure to the sleep part, which is so important. Um, we know that sleep is sort of the foundation of our overall health and well-being. And so I will work with clients on, you know, how are you going to create a ritual for preparing yourself and your body to go to bed? Um, how do you create a ritual around the way that you wake up in the morning so that you're being really intentional about what you give your time and attention and energy to first thing to create the day that you want to have? Uh, I know so many people that the way that they end their day is by staring at a screen mm. in bed with themselves or with their loved one next to them. Yeah, that is a paradox, though, because, you know, Jerry Seinfeld, he has this very funny bit about the night guy versus the morning guy. And if we can imagine our morning selves, you know, the, it's like two separate people. It's like the morning self wants the night self to get that sleep and to put away the phone and to be intentional about what the next day is going to look like. But the night self has all of these interesting things that are out there. And, you know, it, it, it is a paradox. It pulls you in two different directions. And so do you, have you found ways to, for, for you or your, for your clients to remember the importance the next day of how you want to feel and why sleep is so important and why taking care of yourself for the next day is so important? Yeah, I mean, well, and I won't, I, I wish that I had like a, a really easy solution to this because it would probably make me lots and lots of money and help people in so many ways. Um, there isn't a simple answer to this. I think it's getting harder and harder, honestly, because of our access to technology. And also right now, given that, you know, a lot of people who were maybe had some division between work and life because they were, you know, going to an office and aren't, they're not going to an office now. So everything's under the same roof. But even before that, you know, just the fact that we have devices and technology kind of in our face all the time. I, I, again, I wish there was a simple answer or an easier answer. The simple answer is being extremely intentional and remembering, you know, I just, I keep going back to, and this is what I use in my own life. 
And I'm not going for perfection. It's just progress, right? I'm like progress over perfection. Part of it is, you know, the, the first step is having the vision of how you want to feel. And, and the second piece is what's the plan, um, the optimal plan that's going to help you feel the way that you want to feel. Then it's having conversations with the people that you need to in order to set those uh, parameters and those priorities and really the boundaries um, in place. And then it takes, you know, trying it out and you're going to have some days where you do it and you realize, oh my gosh, this feels so much better. And you may try some things and it doesn't work so well. And then you're going to have a day where you don't do it, you know, the way that you wanted to. And then you're reminded by the way that you feel. Um, but I, you know, I, I get on my soapbox about this, uh, but I'm telling you, I'm a big believer that if you instill the rule of uh, no technology in your bedroom or technology gets turned off and put away by a certain time every night in your bedroom, um, that is life-changing. And my husband and I did that a few years ago. And so we never have our phones in our room at night. We don't have a TV in our room. People say, but you know, how do you wake up with an alarm clock? I'm like, we have actually an old-fashioned <laughs> alarm clock. Mm-hmm. And that that was definitely life changing you know it it was like so it takes away looking at the phone or any device up until bedtime and it also takes away it being the first thing that we grab in the in the morning mm-hmm. um there's definitely an asymmetry here which is interesting which i actually picked up from and i kind of touched on this a little bit before at the when, when i posed this question to you but there's an asymmetry between what feels good in the moment and what's good for you in the long run. And if yes. you can, I mean, this this has so many implications for a lot of interactions that we have in life. One of them is, you know, how how we interact with others or how we how we treat others. You know, there's been times, and this is something I need to work on, where it just felt really good in the moment telling someone off because I felt what they were doing was totally inappropriate or they were breaking the rules. And and all, after all those occasions, I just felt shame and felt like I, I acted inappropriately. So if you can interject with some awareness of what feels good in the moment versus what is yeah. best for you in the long run. And the plug I'll make here, which, which is a book I've talked about on a previous episode, is called Atomic Habits by James Clear. And there's a ton of useful insights there. Super fascinating book. But one of them is about the reason that bad habits are easy to form and good habits are hard to form because there's that asymmetry. It feels good in the moment to eat a donut or to smoke a cigarette or to yell at someone, but it feels bad in in the long run. And the, the opposite is true of good habits. It takes a lot of practice and a lot of determination and, and fortitude to develop good habits of running or of waking up early or, or doing this journaling practice. But in the long run, that person that you become, if you can imagine that person you become is, is very powerful. So yeah. Right. Super. And that's the vision piece, right? It's like, you have to be able to hold that out there because in the moment, um, if you don't, if you don't have a bigger vision about why you would do it, it in the moment, the pleasure is going to win out. But I think it that you you've talked a lot about the mindfulness piece and that is the key because you have to be able in the moment to to activate that wise place within you um, that often sounds like a, a little voice, you know, on, on the right side or the left side of your, your head that says, it's really time for you to go to bed. You know, it'd be good for you to go to bed. You know, it, it's, it, you, it really should get off Facebook. Like it's, it's there talking to you. And then we have that more that saboteur place, which is on the other side saying, oh, 
just a few more minutes, just a few more minutes, or it, you know, that's fine. This feels good. So I think the only way you're going to win through that is by having that bigger purpose of, of really, you know, why am I do, why would I do this? Um, And without having that clarity to kind of pull you towards making those different choices, uh, you are going to, in the the moment, you know, your willpower is going to choose what feels best at that, that time. So mindfulness is is so key because without it, you're not going to have that pause to say, wait, there's a better choice for me here that's going to support the way that I want to feel or support the mm-hmm. goal that I have here. No, I mean, mindfulness is a totally different operating system. It, it's t- completely different. The mind that is not practicing mindfulness versus the mind that has developed that practice, it's a, a totally different operating system. You know, it the way that I describe it is it creates a gap between your the stimulus and your reaction, or it creates a gap between the thought and its impact. I mean, that's really, you know, does this, the, the thought, the thoughts that you have going through your brain are just electrical stim, stimuluses that are a product of both the, you know, your long environment and, and your genetics, whatever you're predisposed to. But you can realize that in the moment that this is, you can start to evaluate and start to pick it apart and ask where the evidence is and, and everything else. And if you don't practice mindfulness, um, if you prefer to go on runs or do things that, you know, are great for you, you know, reading books, those are all great things, but you will not develop that ability by not practicing mindfulness. And one way that I described it, um, I was having a conversation with a friend recently where she described social anxiety and she talked about how, you know, when she was sitting down with someone, all ke- all she could think about was, how she was coming across and this kind of self-concern. And I told her I struggled with that for literally the longest time until I became a mindfulness practicer. And now I'm just so present in that conversation. I'm just focused on, you know, like this conversation, focused on what you're saying, what what is interesting about it. And it's really profound. So um, can't plug that enough. Now, one thing I want to shift to is that something interesting, maybe a little counter I noticed as I was preparing for this conversation that in the intro to your book, you wrote a sentence, I can't make your list stresses and challenges disappear. Only you can do that. And of course, this is saying like, this is this journal is uh, not designed to do that, but it's um, a way to help you deal with those more. But actually, one thing that I've reflected on is that uh, sometimes get lost in this feeling of chaos in our lives is that we actually don't want our lists or challenges to disappear. Do you actually want nothing on your to do list? I don't think most people would say yes to that. Do you, you know, do you want to wake up in the morning with literally nothing to do, no, no challenges in your life? Um that those things are kind of what makes life exciting in a way. And obviously there's a healthy and uh, unhealthy spectrum here or, or balance here. Sometimes things can feel overwhelming. So I wanted to provide a, a counter argument to this, this sentence in your intro and see what you make of that if, if you agree or disagree. What I would say is, is that with the people that I work with and even in my own life is that what we really want is the ability to feel good about managing the things that we have going on. So oftentimes, you know, I'm working with people that really want to feel both positive and productive in both their personal and professional lives. So that doesn't mean, absolutely doesn't mean no to-do lists or no stress. Uh, It's really much more about 
um, I think how you feel around having those pieces um, in your life because they're never going to go away. And I think you're right. I don't, I don't think anybody, maybe there's a few people that ultimately would want them to completely go away, but most people I know, you know, would, would just create more (laughs) once they get them Mm. minimal or minimized. Yeah. And it's, it's a function of being able to embrace those in a more healthy way. The fact that, you know, yeah. this this is captured in the title of your journal, which is Calm the Chaos. It, the, the chaos still might be there or it might not. It actually, you just might be perceiving it as chaos because of the fact that, um, you know, things things can certainly feel chaotic. But how you are in that moment, how you operate in those times says probably more or or dictates more whether it feels like chaos and whether it overwhelms you than the external circumstances as as you were talking about earlier. So one thing um for listeners is that so on the left side, you know, there's these things that remain the same every day which include that checklist, there's the act of kindness that that we might have done for someone else which I struggle sometimes to to find, which uh, is is uh, makes me feel bad. But uh, so on the right hand side, the prompts actually alternate, and one day you might have something like, "I want others to experience me as," or "My purpose is to do this," or uh, "A difficult conversation I need to have is this." So I, I'm really curious, how did you decide on these prompts specifically? Because that was probably a major decision. And do you think of them as central to who we are as a person? Yeah. Uh, so before I jump into that, I did want to share, uh, related to your last question, one of my favorite quotes that I, I use a lot in the work that I do is, um, and it's, I, I don't, it's unknown who the author is, but but I love it, which is peace. It does not mean to be in a place where there is no noise, trouble, or hard work. It means to be in the midst of those things and still be calm in your heart. And I think for me, the the journal is a way to help people go back to that calm place that is within us, you know, that that is within our heart. Um because all of those things, the 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 chaos and the hard work, those are going to be constant, sort of related back to your last comment. So uh, going to the question about the, the journal, again, like this was sort of a, a tool for me first and then for others to be able to stop and pause on a daily basis and have some time to reflect, which I think is really important and and also getting harder and harder for people to do. So in terms of the prompts, uh, as I mentioned before, the ones that are focused on the today, so ways you take care of yourself, acts of kindness, most memorable moment of the day, and what you're grateful for, those really came from the health and happiness habits that I had researched and learned about and that I knew when I was doing these things on a regular basis, they absolutely had an impact on the way that I felt. Uh, and in fact, when I w- was working on this with the publisher, they asked me uh, if I would be willing to rotate the prompts um, for both pages. Because initially when I provided it to them with the content, both the pages, both for today and tomorrow, were exactly the same each day. And I thought about it, and what I came back to was my feeling was it was really important that there the questions on today around the health and happiness habits always stayed the same from that idea of it being really kind of this structure and the ritual and the fact that we know that these are the things 
um, that help keep us grounded, help us stay more peaceful and calm. So that piece, we decided to move forward with them being the same in part so that during the day, your mind is starting to scan knowing like, oh, this is something I'm going to be able to check off in the journal. The ones for tomorrow, we ended up rotating through um, with all sort of the same idea in mind, um, but just having you kind of look at things in a different way. And it's really about being intentional. So the focus is right, looking at the day ahead, whether you do it the night before or you do it in the morning, it's thinking about like, this gets back to what I was saying before about kind of the vision, but it's like, what is the, what is your intention for how you want to show up? Uh, during the day? What is your intention for what it is you need to focus on and get done? Um, you know, what are you going to be guided by in terms of your mindset? And then every day there's something around like, what is it that you want to focus on accomplishing? Um, and I find that having some time to actually just think that through, like if nothing else, like these are the three things that I really want to make sure that I focus on. Um, and then there's other ones that we alternated in that were just really important. Like when you're feeling stressed, when I'm feeling stressed, this is something I'm going to do. Like having a plan in advance, because again, the stress is not going to go away. So, you know, for me, some days that's like when I feel stressed, I'm going to get up and go for a walk around the block. Um, but it, so it's, it's giving you a place to think about and prepare, you know, how you are going to navigate the day, no matter what comes up. Another important one is uh, a courageous conversation I need to have. Uh, I don't know who said this. Um, a, co- a fellow coach of mine shared this one with me one time that said um, that they had heard this quote about often stress is just conversations not had. And that has always hmm. stuck with me. And so that was one of the reasons I add that added that in there is that oftentimes just having a conversation with somebody about something we're avoiding or a conflict we're having or something we're feeling challenged about can decrease the stress around something. So I put that prompt in there every few days also because that may be a way like, oh gosh, you know, I need to have this conversation with my spouse or I need to have this conversation um, with a client or I need to have this conversation, you know, with a colleague of mine. Uh, And that could be for clarification. That could be to some conflict resolution, like, you know, really dealing, having a courageous conversation. Um, So that's another example of just, you know, a way to help people manage the stress and sort of bring down maybe some of the chaos um, that they're feeling. And then one of the other ones is, you know, I want others to experience me, experience me as blank. So This gets back to what I was saying, how I'll start with people about saying, you know, if you're 85 and you want people showing up to celebrate you, what do you want them to be saying? What are the stories you want them to be telling? It it puts you thinking about what is the experience that I want others to be having of me? And if your life is overly chaotic and stressful and you're overwhelmed and you're not grounded and you're acting out of you know, impulse and reactivity, the experience that people are going to have of you is going to be very, very different than if you are feeling grounded and calm. Again, not having no stress at all, but that you're you're navigating that stress and what's swirling around you from a much more grounded and calm place. That's what I think most people want, right? That's the memories that they want uh, people to have of them in terms of of how they were 
they showed up and what they experienced. Mm -hmm. So that's some of the examples of, of the prompts for tomorrow and why they, those are varied. So they change every few days. So they're not always the same. Yeah. And one thing I didn't capture is that as, as you said, the, there's a section for today and then on the left-hand side and then a, a section about tomorrow. And I, I just love that about, you know, reflecting on what happened today and how do I want to plan for tomorrow? How do I want to be tomorrow? That's, and, and what do I, what conversations do I need to have? What do I want to accomplish? That's a, a great practice. Well, this conversation is, is only as good as the habits people are able to develop. So in addition to this conversation, I recommend checking out resources related to habit formation, which include James Clear's uh, Atomic Habits. And Nicola, you've been so generous with your time. I, I wanted to ask if you have time. I, I have a practice of asking everyone the same um, general questions at, at the end. So my first question is, if you... If you could meet any person who's ever lived who is relatively famous and people would know who who they are, who would it be? Oh, I would absolutely be having dinner with Brene Brown. Oh, wow. <laughs> I actually, uh, I see that completely. Yeah, you you remind me a lot of her. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is a compliment. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> she's, she's definitely an inspiration. I actually, I saw that she just started her uh, own podcast, which I haven't listened yes. to yet, but she's yeah. very cool. So lastly, if you have a recommendation for a single book or an article or a podcast or a podcast um, episode or a TED Talk, something that has been extremely transformative for you and uh, you think people would benefit from, what would that be? Well, I'm going to go back to Brene Brown um, and any of her books I find are are life changing and I actually feel like they should be required reading or listening um for everybody and her, you know her TED talks as well but I think that the book I believe it's her first book the gifts of imperfection um and the and her talks around vulnerability I just feel like connect so much to the heart and soul of of who people are and how they want to live. Um, so I would highly recommend anything by her, um, but maybe even just starting with that first book and kind of building from there. Yeah, definitely. I I haven't seen, I, I haven't um, read a ton of her work, but the one thing from the Power of Vulnerability TED Talk that she gave that makes so much sense is, especially being a male, as males, we kind of really shy away from being vulnerable and honest with people and kind of like putting up this facade of, and, and this is related to the increasing use of social media. It's, it's kind of like a, a facade of, you know, who we are as a people. And I think that is related to the stigmatization of mental health issues and, and why people with mental health issues feel they can't be open is because of this avoiding of, of being vulnerable. And if we could be more honest with people and recognize that a lot of people are actually facing the same challenges and not go into yeah. every conversation just like trying to act like, you know, everything is great, everything is good. You know, there's there's very much that pressure as a society, I feel like, to do that in just my perspective as a male. So definitely. Um, well, yeah. And I would just add to that, that I think that people are responding more and more 
to transparency and vulnerability. And I love that she, you know, she's not uh, suggesting that we all just go around and share every dark detail with everybody. Um, but I think there's something that people are are hungry for and responding to, which is realness and authenticity. Um, and so I love that she's really brought that conversation uh, to the table. I also think that the 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 conversation or I, one of her statements has been, uh, it's hard to hate up close. So again, given sort of the d- divisiveness that's happening, especially in our country, I have found that also where I keep going back to, uh, it's much, much harder to judge people when you know them, when you hear their story, when you understand what's going on in their life. And I think more and more of that is needed, but that requires us to be willing to share and and to listen. So I think she's just got such important um, information and lessons that that really all of us could benefit from and our society could benefit from as a whole. Absolutely. I, I agree. Well, I will, uh, w- what, what is one place that you would recommend where people can reach out to you? Maybe, uh, your website or Twitter or Facebook. What would you recommend if they want to get in touch with you about leadership coaching or life coaching? Yeah. So I definitely encourage you to go to my website, which is, uh, nicolataggart.com. And there is also right now a free resource that you can download, um, called Winning with Wellbeing. It's a guide and a workbook that actually will help you, you know, put some of these things in, into place right now, especially during these kind of challenging and uncertain times. Um, and then I'm also excited to announce that, the card, the Calm the Chaos card deck is actually going to be released from Chronicle September in September of 2020. So just coming up in time <laughs> with everything going on. Um, and that's a card deck that's got 65 different sort of simple, practical ways that you can bring more calm into your otherwise chaotic life, um, you know, on a regular basis and kind of supplements with the journal. Cool. Well, I will be one of the first purchasers of that. And it has nothing uh, to do with paying back this favor. It's very much because I I believe in what you're doing. And uh, this is a wonderful journal and and resources that you're creating. If you're enjoying the All Things Connected podcast, there's many ways you can show your support. You can write a review on Apple Podcasts or on Stitcher, wherever you listen. You can share it with a friend or talk about it on your own podcast. You can post about it on social media, such as sharing your favorite episode, or you can support it directly on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash all things connected. Thank you very much. Your support is much appreciated.